Thanks for tuning in to the Three Strands Podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. If you're just joining us, we're in part two of this series that we've called Running in the, in the Wrong Direction. And uh, we're going to look at Jonah chapter two today. And in this chapter, we're going to gain even more insight into running from the one who made our feet, because that's what Jonah uh, decided to do. And so if you missed part one, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast, and it'll kind of fill you up to where we're beginning today uh, in part two of this. So, um, so most of you know the story, even if you've not been in church your whole life, you've heard about Jonah and the whale or the big fish. And so after Jonah, we're picking up today here, after Jonah was swallowed by this big fish, he learned some valuable lessons. And when he realized that he wasn't going to drown, because he thought he was, and that probably that, you know, thought God was going to torture him even more, after he realizes that, he begins to pray, which is probably what we would all do in times like, you know, in situations like he was in where we feel like there's no way out and that we've hit rock bottom. And so after he escapes from the fish, he kind of writes down sort of the outline of his prayer that we're going to read today. And so what we're going to look at today is just kind of how he prayed, and then we're going to gain some insights from his prayer, from his experience inside the belly of a big fish. So in Jonah chapter 2, what I want to share with you this morning is just five things about God's attitude toward those who run. Okay, five things about God's attitude toward those who run. So let's jump right in this morning in Jonah chapter 2 and look at verse 1 as we read God's word. It says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. Now, try to imagine this. I know it's tough, but he prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish, and he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, And he answered me. So the first thing that we discover from those who are running is that when they stop and they decide to pray and talk to God, the first lesson we learn is this, that God listens to the prayer of the runner. God listens. He hears. And it says, um, he answered me. Now listen, God doesn't have any reason to answer or to listen, but he does. And so if you've run until the bottom has fallen out and you have no leverage with God, I mean, why in the world would he listen? If we've just kind of, you know, pushed God away and ran and ran and ran, then we stop and pray, we're in the belly of a fish, why in the world would he even listen at that point? I mean, you're in the belly of a fish praying some kind of prayer of rededication that says, Lord, from now on, I'll follow you. What else would you say if you're in the belly of a fish, right? I mean, of course you're going to pray some kind of desperate prayer. What other choice do you have? And and God could say, I may not give you a now on. What do you mean from now on? I don't have to give you a from now on, you know? But what we learn is that when we are at the end of ourselves and, and we're facing the consequences of the decisions that you and I have made, that when we turn to God, as Jonah did, The great news is that he hears the prayer of the runner. That's good news because we've all been there. So so look at the second part of um, verse 2. He says, I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. 
Didn't, didn't have a reason to, didn't have to, but God did. He heard him. Why in the world would God listen to the cry of somebody who's running and just says, no, what God, no, what God, no, no, no. Why would God even listen to that prayer? To, to somebody who's tried to treat God like a dog and said, God, sit, stay, roll over. I'm going to go run. You, you play dead, okay? I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. And guys, you know, some of you have been there. When we do, it begins to unravel. And so we turn back to God. But I mean, why would he listen to those prayers? I don't know. But God's message in the Bible is clear. That in our distress, when you and I hit rock bottom in life, when we really, we simply have no leverage with him, when there may not be a for now on, that he hears the cry, he hears the prayer of the runner. That's the first lesson we learn here in Jonah chapter 2. And you know, it, it reminds me sort of an experience that I'm sure many times you have had uh, with friends or ch children or whatever, but sometimes people will come to you and ask you for advice. Okay, they do it to me. Sometimes people will come and ask me for advice, and then I'll give them my advice, and then they ignore my advice. Has that ever happened to you? Okay, hey, can you tell me, okay, I'll tell you, and they do the exact opposite. So we probably all had that happen, but many times it's like marriage or dating advice, and many times after somebody's like been through a divorce, they'll ask them questions about like dating in the future, and I'll always tell them, you know, why don't you wait for a year before you begin dating again and just give yourself, you know, some time to heal and to get back to whole. But what I've learned over the years is nobody likes that advice. Uh, most people don't take that advice. And then they'll come back and say things like, well, my friend says that that shouldn't apply to everyone. And that's not in the Bible. And you're just being legalistic. And I know it's not in the Bible. I, I realize it's not a commandment in the Bible. But it's just wisdom, which is all throughout the Bible, right? Chase wisdom. Pursue wisdom. And then many times, those same people, they'll rush right back into another relationship, and they'll get married again real quick, and then many times it doesn't work out again. And those same people want to come back for more advice now that they're in another mess on what they should do. And, you know, just the flesh in me, okay, the meanness in me wants to say, why don't you go ask your friend, okay? What do they, they got to say? Go talk to them about it, you know? But listen... The good news is that God's not like me, okay? That is good news. He's not like me. And so in our despair, when we knew that we did the wrong thing, God said, don't do it. Mama said, don't do it. Your friend said, don't do it. All of wisdom said, don't marry them. Don't get in. Don't get out. Don't buy that. Don't borrow it. Don't whatever. In the middle of when we knew better, listen, Runners can turn back to the God they gave the cold shoulder to, and the scriptures say, it's not just me saying this, okay? The scriptures say that God hears the prayer of the runner. That is good news, friends. That is good news for all of us because we've all ran before. And see, not knowing this, not knowing that point there, this may keep you from turning back in God's direction. Not knowing this may cause you to get into a cycle that so many people get into saying, God's not going to help me. I, I, I don't know how to help me. And so the best I can do is just run. 
to run as far as I can, to live it up now as much as I can. I mean, I know eventually I'm going to hit a brick wall and I'm going to hit rock bottom, but I mean, what other option do I have? I can't turn back to God. I mean, I've already left him, treated him like a dog. Can't, can't turn to my parents. I'm wearing them out. I mean, I, I can't seem to break this habit. I can't seem to break this cycle, so I'm just going to run. And I'm going to run and run. And God says, no. No, no, no. You do have an option. He says, you can turn back towards me. And he's saying, I won't even say I told you so. I'm not like that jerk, Pastor Kenny. I won't even say that. I won't go say, talk to your friend. I will say, hey, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? So that's the first lesson that we learn from his prayer. The second one is this. That God is oftentimes in the middle of the circumstances that bring us to the end of ourselves. Have you realized that? That many times when we're in these situations that like we feel like we're not going to make it through them, that God is oftentimes right in the middle of it. Look at the second part of verse 3. Jonah prays and says, you, key word there, you threw me into the ocean depths. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to the sailors. He's talking to God and says, you threw me into the ocean depths. And we read that and we say, all right, time out, Jonah, 30-second time out, right? I wasn't, you know, it wasn't God that threw you into the ocean. It was those sailors. Don't you even know your own story, Jonah? Don't you even remember what happened? And Jonah says, oh, oh I remember the story, all right. And I know it was the sailors who, who physically picked me up and threw me in. But looking back now that I've had time to reflect, I realize it was God. I mean, the sailors were just tools, but it was God who brought me to the end of myself. And guys, here's what we discover when we stop running. When we turn back to God, what we discover is the circumstances that we hate. The relationships that have gone bad, the debt that's about to swallow us, the decisions that are about to take us down, all of the stuff that makes us so mad at our spouse and our parents and at God because life isn't going the way that we want it to go. One day, trust me, one day when you have some time to distance yourself from it and reconnect with God, you will look back at your current circumstances and you will say, that was God. Didn't see it then, but that was God. Didn't realize it at that time, but it was God. Because listen, that's what it took to get my attention. That's what it took. And guys, if, if, if it takes a big fish swallowing us and us staying in the belly for three days and three nights to bring us back, that's what God will do. Listen, like we said last week, not to pay us back, but to bring us back. Because of the love relationship that God wants to have with me. That's love. You know, when I think about my past and my life, when I've ran from God in specific areas of my life and things have unraveled, I've been around long enough to realize that that was God simply because he loved me. I didn't feel it at the time. It felt awful. But now looking back years later, I can say that was God allowed that to happen in my life. Not to pay me back, but to bring me back. The events in our lives that we seem to hate, 
that are slowly taking us down. And if things continue to go the way they're going, we'll feel like we'll never, ever be able to put the pieces back together again. Listen to me. The day will come when you look back and you realize that it was God bringing you back. And you know, I was thinking about this. Isn't that what we should expect from a God who says to call him Father? Who loves us enough to give up his life for us? Isn't that what we should expect from a God who wants a relationship with us so bad that he'd give up his son for it? Do you think a God like that is just going to let his kids wander off and go after somebody else or something else? I mean, if he loves us, isn't he going to come just running after us, pursuing us and chasing us? I mean, if he loves us and can't get us with his grace or with his mercy, which is his plan, isn't he a good God if he comes after us with circumstances that force us to say, I surrender? Doesn't a good God do that? Isn't that what a loving heavenly father would do with his children? It's the story of the ten coins, and the lady tears the house apart looking for the one. Right? It's the story of the lost sheep. They got 99 who are lost, but they leave everything to look for the one the shepherd does. It's the story of the prodigal son, right? I mean, I mean, God will turn heaven and earth upside down to pursue you when you're running. That's what a loving father does. And maybe today you're sitting there and you just can't see it because you're in the middle of it. You're in the middle of the storm. But most of the people sitting around you can look at a time in their lives and they can say, you know what? I hated it. I was angry. And I remember blaming everybody around me. But now looking back, I can see that God was right there in the middle of my circumstances that took me down. And I thought, we're going to take me out. But looking back, it was God. The third lesson I think that we can learn from Jonah's prayer is he discovered what every major Bible character discovered and many of us sitting in this room this morning have discovered as well. That God's discipline, it's thorough. It is thorough. That is when he comes after us to bring us back, he's oftentimes not gentle. In fact, sometimes he's so extreme that we can't imagine the kinds of things that God will allow. This is how Jonah put it in, in verse 4. He said, Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. He says, I sank beneath the waves. He thought this was the end. He thought he was going to drown and die. It says, And the waters closed over me. Imagine this, seaweed wrapped itself around my head, and I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. He could tell when the fish was submerging and then coming back up. It says, I was impressed in the earth, or I'm sorry, I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death as my life was slipping away. He's saying that there was this moment in time when I thought this was the end. That, that I thought, I think I'm about to breathe my, my last breath. He'd, he'd breathe as long as he could breathe, kept his sanity for as long as he could keep his sanity, that he'd been stretched as far as any human could be, and he survived. And he says, I remembered the Lord. 
and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Now, can I ask you something this morning? How long do you think that Jonah was in that situation before he repented? How long do you think it took when you're inside the belly of a big fish before you repent? Turn, do a 180, start heading in another direction. Okay, God, I'm with you. How long do you think it took him? Do you think it took three days as long as he was in there? I think it took about three minutes. I think it took about three minutes or less. I mean, first of all, he thought he was going to drown, and now he's in a fish. But, but what we see in this situation and what we see throughout the Scriptures is this. When God decides to bring us back, he is unbelievably thorough. Do you remember when the nation of Israel rebelled against God? He didn't send them into exile for a year or even 10 years, or even 50. He sent them into exile for 70 long years. When the nation rebelled in the desert, he didn't let them wander in the desert for 10 years, or even 20, or even 30. 40 years they wandered in the desert. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, God didn't just slap him on the hand. He lost his baby. He lost his sons. He lost his kingdom, his reputation, his influence. He lost everything. And we read those stories, and we think, God, didn't you overdo it just a little bit? I mean, isn't that just a little bit of overkill? And we learn something about God. That sometimes, listen, God loves us enough to scar us. Why? So that we never forget, and as a result, we are far less prone to wonder in the future. I got a scar on my forehead right there, and I got it when I was back in college. It's one of Chelsea's favorite stories, by the way. But when I was in college, I worked for the admissions office for a semester, and we would just travel within 300 miles of the campus recruiting kids to come to Cumberland. And so it was me and my roommate there. We had the same job, and we would go out to high schools in the morning, like two or three different schools before noon, and recruit. Just get kids to come, sign up the card, tell them all about the school and, and whatever. But the afternoon, go back and take like a short two or three-hour nap. And then after that, there was really nothing to do. Go eat, you know, and then just kind of bored, just sitting in a motel room watching TV. And so I remember we were in Lexington one weekend, and the bed that I was on, we had double beds there. My roommate was over there laying down. And, and I started just kind of antsy. I was a little antsy. started jumping on the bed a little bit. I thought, man, this bed is springy. And so I started going a little higher. And before too long, I was getting some air, okay? And my roommate's over there cracking like, dude, you're an idiot, man. Well, I started getting high like two and three feet. And I thought, this is incredible. I've never seen a motel bed like this. So I get up so high that I begin, I was 21, 22, okay, I couldn't do this now. But I was getting up so high, I started doing toe touches in the air. And when I would touch my toes, I would come back and hit the bed, and it would just throw me back against the bed real quick. Well, he starts cracking up, you know, me six foot two, long and lanky, doing this stupid, you know, jumping on the bed. So I was getting, I don't know, three or four foot of air, touching my toes, and bam, he was just rolling, like losing his air, oxygen, laughing so hard. But the problem, I didn't know that the headboard was attached to the wall. It wasn't attached to the bed frame. And so every time I would hit, the mattress would go down and back up, down and back up. 
Well, one time I went up high in there, like four or five foot touch, and I got a little clo- too close to the headboard. And when I went down, that mattress went down, and my head was up on there, and pop! When I came back up, it laid me wide open. And I was like, ah, and he was over there just cracking up, and I've got blood streaming. I go down, clean myself up in the bathroom, and I was too embarrassed to tell anybody, and I wasn't going to go to the hospital, but I needed stitches, so I was just one washcloth after another. The maid came in the next morning, probably thought there was a murder because there were just bloody washcloths everywhere. But I remember going to the school, one of the schools the next day, and I just found some gauze and taped it to my forehead. So it was like a two-by-four pad on my head with blood seeping through it. Like, hey, you want to come to Cumberland? You know? Uh, but it was, it was bad time. And I remember getting back to campus, and Rick Fleener said, you know, they got butterfly Band-Aids, don't you? Like, never thought of that. But I just went to three schools with a big pad on my head. So, um, but I've still got the scar because I didn't get stitches. And you know what that scar reminds me of? Don't jump on the bed, Okay. Stop jumping on the bed. Do you remember as a kid, those of you who had parents that spanked you with a belt? I know for me, it didn't take me long to repent when I saw that belt coming off. Or if mom said, I'm going to go get the belt. It didn't take long to repent at all. Just hearing the words, I'm going to go get the belt, or hearing it go across those belt loops in your jeans when dad was taking off his belt, and I was already sorry for what I did. I didn't need any more time. I repented. But you know what my parents did, my mean parents? They spanked me anyway. Hard. I mean, spanked me hard. But you know what they knew? They wanted me to so closely associate disobedience with pain that when I got older, I would remember not to do that again. And yeah, the pain that I got, you know, was probably a little more than I deserved for for what I'd done. But my parents who loved me, they wanted me to learn that rebellion and disobedience will always bring pain. And if they had to scar me to remind me of that, then that's what they would do. They would overdo it. And as a son, now that I'm older, I'm forever grateful for that lesson that they taught me. Because God's God's discipline is thorough. And in the middle of of we hate it, but, but looking back, we say, thank you, God, because I'll never forget it. If you're a parent and you've got kids running from God, Did you know the best thing you can do, and I know this sounds cruel, but the best thing you can do is let them face the full, right-in-their-face consequences of whatever they're doing. And I know as a parent, it's within us to want to save our kids and, and rescue our children. But when we rescue them from the discipline of God, we prolong our pain. We prolong their pain, and we short-circuit the very thing that God may be wanting to do in their life, the lesson that he's trying to teach them. And that, the, the, the scar that will hurt a little bit now, but it will hurt a whole lot later if they don't learn that lesson. It will save them from a great deal of pain later on. I've said this for years. A little pain now will save a lot of pain later on. And you know the shortest way to our kids finally embracing the values that we've been trying to teach them? You know the ones that they they say you've been trying to shove down their throat? is to allow them to experience the full force of the consequences of their rebellion and of their running. And I've seen it. I've seen parents jump off the ship trying to, to fish their kids out of the sea. 
And everybody loses when that happens. And I know, guys, I'm a parent. I mean, what can be worse? Just standing there watching your kid over-suffer. Suffer consequences greater than you know they deserve for what they did. But I'm telling you, I've learned that this is God's love. It's his mercy. It's his grace. And only with time and distance will we see it. But God's discipline is thorough. The, the fourth thing we learn from Jonah's prayer is that to run from God is to run from his provision and protection. When we run from God, we run from his provision, his protection. He says this in a very unique way in verse 8. Look at it. He says, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. That they turn their back on God's mercy. The Hebrew word here is hesed, and it refers to God's unconditional covenant love. And so what Jonah is saying here, he's saying, listen, I've done what the Ninevites had done. I mean, I was the one that was supposed to go tell them to turn away from their pagan idols back to God and that God wouldn't judge them. But yet I've done the same thing. I mean, he's saying I've gotten focused on something that I want to the exclusion of what God wants. And guys, that's an idol. We've all done that. He's saying I'm pursuing this thing that I thought would bring me fulfillment and get me to the point in life where I wanted to be. But I forfeited. I've turned my back on God's unconditional covenant love. He's saying, I've turned my back on what would ultimately fill me up. And I've turned my back on God's mercy that could be mine if I would just stop chasing that idol that ends up being nothing down the road. Right? It's not going to fulfill. And guys, it goes back to what we said last week. The main reason that most of us run when we're young is that we think that if we chase after God, that we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on a bunch of good things. That's what we think. And somewhere in our minds, there's this experience. There's a person. There's a thing. There's a career. There's an income. There's something out there. And we think God's just going to get in the way of what's truly going to make me happy. And so our actions say, God, stay. See ya. Mind your own business while I chased after this other thing, while I chased after this other person. And somewhere down the road, we all discover that it's not there. It's not them. They're not making my dreams come true. Okay? I've got it all now, and it's just not filling me up. Ever been there? Jonah says this. I realize that when we forfeit the grace and love of God, when we pursue these worthless idols. Look how he says it when he finishes up in verse 9. He says, But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. And he learns the lesson, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. He's realizing that as he thought he could save himself from misery, you know, we think of it as saving ourselves from unhappiness. That we're saving ourselves from guilt, from loneliness, from not having pleasure. And Jonah realizes what we all realize. He realizes that salvation from guilt, salvation from a broken heart, salvation from loneliness, salvation from fear, from purposelessness, all that, he says, comes from the Lord. 
He says that salvation is only found in the Lord. That's it. So maybe you're here today and you're sitting here this morning and you just kind of ran through your 20s and you ran through your 30s and you're thinking that around the corner it's going to suddenly become great. Can I just tell you this morning, it's not. It's not. It's just going to be more the same. And the greatest thing you, you could do, the greatest thing that could happen to you this morning is for you to say, what is it? I mean, what is it that I'm trying to save myself from? Because it's not just about heaven when we die. Salvation is from the Lord. And just ask yourself, be honest this morning and say, why am I running? I mean, why am I even running? And then Jonah brings us in for the landing. And he ends his prayer, and it's as if God surprises him with an aha moment. And here's what we learn. The last lesson I want you to take home is this. That God is a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances. See, if we didn't know the end of the story, we'd think it's over, right? I mean, he's been thrown into the sea, swallowed by a fish, and probably thinking God's already got another prophet to go to Nineveh and preach that eight-word sermon he wanted me to preach. And Jonah was seemingly punished and tortured by God, but he finds out that God is a God of second chances. He's he's a God of second chances for a God that said, God, no. I'm a believer in you. I know you. I've memorized the Old Testament. I don't need any more information. I've just decided no, and I'm going to go in a different direction, God. And God says, you know what, Jonah? Even with that, even with that, I'm going to give you a second chance. That's good news for us. Look at it and Jonah 2, uh, verse 10. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. And then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. And he said, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I gave you. And this is kind of one of those duh verses in the Bible. Like, well, duh. It says in verse 3 of chapter 3. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. Wouldn't you, right? You just spent three days in the belly of a fish. Okay, God, gotcha. I'm good. I'm going to preach the eight-word sermon. I mean, I bet he did, right? He didn't have to be told twice this time. He went running to obey God and do what he said. Wouldn't we? Guys, all the sin, all of the junk, all of the consequences in your life, did you know that God can use all of that for the good if you'll just let him? Did you know that God's not through with you yet? And you may say, but you don't know how far I've drifted. Do you know what God's message in the Bible is? The message is this, that you cannot drift and you cannot run outside of the boundaries of God's grace and mercy. You can't do it. You'll never run that far. You'll never drift that far. Listen, let let me prove it to you. All your Bible heroes were runners. Do you know that? The people that have impacted your life the most were runners. Did you know that we only let runners or or ex-runners or imperfect people preach here? Do you realize that? That's how you qualify to teach here. You got to be imperfect. You've got to have had sin in your past. 
With no sin, there's no need for salvation. And there's only been one perfect person to walk the planet, and it's not us, okay? So we're all qualified. It's true. To, to be in the band up here, you had to be imper- you got to be imperfect. To teach children here, you've got to be imperfect. You can't do anything in this church unless you're imperfect, an ex-runner type. That's the only kind of people we use here because that's the only kind of people that God uses. Being an ex-runner doesn't disqualify you from ministry or from being used by God. Listen, God will take the crud. God will take the sin. God will take all of those wasted years in your life, and he will leverage them. He will use them. He will use that in somebody else's life to bring glory and honor to him. Why? Because God is a God of second chances. Listen, you know Paul, right? The apostle Paul, when he was Saul, he threw Christians into prison, yet he got to write half of the New Testament. That's crazy. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, yet God said he wouldn't break his covenant with him. And later on, he called him a man after his own heart. Peter, who had seen the miracles, he had walked around with Jesus, had performed miracles himself. But when Jesus was arrested, a little girl looks at him and says, hey, aren't you one of those who follow Jesus? And Peter said, I never knew him. I don't know who you're talking about. And we think, whoa, 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 Peter, you're out on that one. One strike for you. That was a big one. Okay, you're gone, done. Jesus let Peter write two books of the Bible and built the entire church around a confession that Peter made just as a reminder that God gives people second chances. Let me remind us of something else. Did you know that when we quit running, that God will start to restore some of your relationships? When we quit running, God might even start to restore us financially. When we quit running, God will restore our hearts, our minds, our conscience, our guilt, all of that. But let me tell you one thing God can't do. He can't give you back your time. And the tragedy of the runner is that when they quit running, it's this. They all say the same thing. They all say, oh, the wasted years. Why didn't I stop running sooner? The wasted Christmases, the wasted months, the wasted days. If if only I could just go back and redo those years, redo my 20s, redo my 30s. If only I could go back. And guys, what we'll never have back is the time that we threw away running. And so my challenge to us this morning as as we close here in just a second is this. Why not let today just be the end of your running days? Why not just decide today, just throw up your hands and say with Jonah, I'm done. I'm done running. Because if you do, here's what you'll discover. God will hear that prayer no matter where you're at in the process. And you will find out that God's right there in the middle of the circumstances that brought you to the end of yourself. And yes, his discipline is thorough. It hurts. You may be scarred as a reminder, but you'll find out that you've been running from the very thing that you thought you were pursuing. 
But over time, you'll see that your God is a God of second chances. Guys, don't waste another season of your life. Don't waste another week. Don't waste another month. Don't waste another year. Just surrender. Surrender to him and stop running. Because you can run from God, but you can't outrun him. He will do whatever it takes, not to pay you back, but to bring you back. Because he loves you. He loves you. So we're going to stand and sing this last song as the band will come forward. Would you just pray to God kind of like Jonah did there? And just say, God, here's where I'm at. You know, I'm ready to stop running today. I'm ready to stop running this morning. Would you do that as we stand and sing this last song together? Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday, 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park Building. We hope to see you soon.